You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, C.C. Broadus, Alan Schneider, and Brandon Jaggers. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. I'm your host, C.C. Broadus. Join by Alan Schneider and Brandon Jaggers. Guys, I'm suffering from a Breeders' Cup hangover. These races I'm handicapping this week sure aren't as fun as the, as the ones last week. Man, you got that right. Uh, looking at the Churchill car this weekend, and no offense to, to the wonderful horsemen out there, but it pales in the comparison to what we just saw over Friday and Saturday. We saw some great races, some great performances, some great payoffs. And uh, But, you know, you gotta, we'll acclimate ourselves to this weekend's card. Yeah, definitely the toughest two days to handicap and to bet. And uh, I, but I tell you, it was beautiful. Thank goodness we got great weather, and uh, and we saw a lot of Euros win, and we saw a lot of favorites, but we also saw a lot of long, long shots and and some big surprises. Not the biggest surprise. Uh, gosh, well, we'll go into it later. <laughs> Well, it's bittersweet about the weather situation. I mean, the Derby Day and Breeders' Cup weekend, you know, the two biggest racing days on the calendar, and have have had absolutely beautiful weather. And of course, we haven't been up to attend. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, very bittersweet to say the least. Uh, you know, I was thinking before we get into Breeders' Cup recap, my girlfriend Amanda and I went to uh, Goodfellas Pizzeria or Goodfellas Distillery in Lexington. We we should start doing restaurant reviews. On, on the podcast let's do that because yeah. one of the most important things you do when you go when you go to the races you've got to have you got to have a strategy on where you're going to eat afterwards yeah and, yeah, yeah. And we Fair went enough. to we went to goodfellas distillery there it's on uh manchester in lexington and it was it's a very nice restaurant it's a cool place they've they've, they've redone this distillery section here it's an old distillery that they've revamped and there's like a you know, there's like retail out or stores, uh, antique stores, and and there's a battle axes there where you can throw axes at each other, I guess. And then there's uh, you know, different pubs and whatnot, ice cream stuff like that. It's a pretty cool place, and and Goodfellas was really good. It's really cool inside. It was it was relatively inexpensive. I think it was like fourteen dollars for a a twelve inch pie. So it was uh, it was pretty cool. So uh, yeah, uh, why don't you write that down in the future? We need to start doing restaurant reviews. But I just need to. You got- I mean, we're, I've been there. I've been there. Trades. We're jacks of all trades. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even uh, Dave Portnoy of Barstool Sports did a review there. Well, that's that's why I went. That, that's the whole reason I went. To, we went to the to this place <laughs> because uh, Portnoy did that re- the review. He's the way he did a second review. And I thought that was uh, thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, the, the, but uh, yeah, it was that pizza was every bit of a 7.7. I think that's what he gave it. So <laughs> anyway, so let's. uh. We'll work that into the budget maybe for 2021. Maybe do some uh, restaurant. <laughs> just, I just don't want to pay for it myself. But uh, let's talk about this uh, Breeders' Cup weekend at Keeneland. Uh, you know, great racing. It was, a, it was a fun card. It was a little frustrating at times. But uh, let's start off with Friday. Uh, we won't go over every race. But, um, Alan, we'll start with you. What, what stuck out to you on the Friday Breeders' Cup card? Um couple of things i, I know uh, essential quality obviously in the in, in the uh, juvenile 
uh, all the love was to Jackie's Warrior, and rightfully so. There was question marks about Jackie's Warrior uh, getting the two turns. It seemed to be a two-horse race. It turned out to kind of be that way. Uh, essential quality, the two-turn experience obviously helped, and he got the job done over the massive, massive long shot by Doug O'Neill. I know one of the people on this uh, pod had that trifecta very happy about Doug O'Neill running second. Isn't that right, CC? Um, so essential quality is one to watch for next year. Uh, a horse that I thought ran real well that nobody really talks about is Cowan in the turf sprint, the juvenile turf sprint to Golden Pal, who was going to be a runaway winner, but uh, Cowan made the big move to be uh, closing for second down the center of the track. And the Euro, you. I can't think of his name. You better talk about it. Uh, what's his name? CC. Uh, I'm not making it right. It. You better believe you, it. You better, you better believe it. Broke. He broke real. Uh, broke very poorly in that race, and damn near got second with a great ride. So I, I think that horse gets overlooked a little bit. But to me, the day belonged to Essential Quality. I, I guess off the top of my head. I thought Juvenile Phillies Vquist. I thought that was a great a great ride up the rail. And Pearl, yes. I mean, it was Brad Cox. And Pearl. But that and Pearl, Essential Quality, and Bequist. Let's go back to, did you or did you not think that Hot Rod Charlie is going to win that race when they returned from home? Yes. Uh, that, I did. It's like, well, immediately I'm regretting not, not looking at this horse. I don't think I even reviewed this horse at one time. I just I just assumed he was a throwout. He looked slow on Thoroughgraph. You know, he's slow-ish. I mean, you could make a case for the horse moving forward but uh i didn't see it here but that that horse looked like he was he was going to win like you say he, he was on fire turning turning for home from the 12 hole correct and did you say it's a, it's a half to matoli is it a half to matoli that or... horse is a half to matoli by oxbow they gave a hundred ten thousand dollars for the colt uh i won't say essential quality was all i have to run him down but there was a, re- a little there was a moment there when I didn't think he was going to get there, but of course the two-turn experience uh, came through. But uh, that horse ran massive at 90, 91 to one. Am I right? Ninety-four to one. Something like that, right? Right. Yeah, I just happened to use all in the second leg of the trial, and that's the only way that I would have caught that. You know, so that, uh, yeah. Though looking back at the race, I thought Jackie's Warrior was probably a cinch there, if, as long as they didn't go with him. But my gosh, not only did they go with him, they they went past him. Early yeah. on in the race, those fractions were in you know ridiculous. So Steve but, and uh, Steve Asmussen learned that this horse might not want two turns. Maybe he does in a little softer spot, but I I, I think they may look at a little. They, the Derby dreams may have been dashed. Let's put it that way. Possibly, possibly. To Saturday, and here's one of my problems. You know, with uh, now it's it's a thing now that you know all these cards have got to be ten or eleven, twelve races long the big days i've learned that that's too many races oh yeah it's just too many races to handicap now it's fun it's fun and but you know you you just you're not gonna hit them all and that's i learned that lesson early on saturday i i thought i had a handle on that early pick four and the pick five and you know i wasn't even close um and then you know that was kind of a theme for the day i finally caught fire a little bit late but let's talk about some of these races uh Let's talk about this Breeders' Cup uh, Philly Mare Sprint. Uh, Gamine with a monster performance. I think maybe she broke the track record as well. Uh, yeah. Does, uh, where does where does Gamine stack up against a Philly like Swiss Skydiver? I, I if I had to vote for a three-year-old Philly champion, I think I would go with Swiss Skydiver. 
But, uh, I mean, Gamine is in the conversation for sure, right? Uh, she is, but, again, the Swiss got ever beat her head-to-head, and you're always going to give more credence to the horses that uh, have done it at longer distances. Plus, Swiss got ever has that little feather in a cap where she beat uh, she beat the Derby winner and the Breeders' Cup Classic winner, and that's kind of hard to overlook. Uh, Gamine got a great ride, by the way, by John Velasquez. He, he – he made sure uh, Serengeti Edwards went, made sure that sitting on his pace got clear of the rest of the, and then he eased off off the rail in the second, and then from that point it was it was over. I mean, I tried to beat Gamine personally. Uh, that was a mistake. Uh, Gamine blew them off the track. You know, uh, I think you got to give some credit to Serengeti Empress, uh, who outran Gamine early. Yeah, and, and yeah. she she hung on for second. Now the racetrack helped out a lot. I think you, 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 if you're going to recap this day, you got to talk about the racetrack a little bit. I mean, it, it like, you know, Philly's like, uh, Bell's the one, Sally's curling. You know, they had no chance in this type of race. Mm-hmm. They were just too far back early. But, yeah. you know, you know, I mean, I, you got Tippy Cap staring at the Empress. She's, she's all, all heart, very gritty, Philly. Uh, let's talk about the dirt mile. This was, uh, uh speaking of monster efforts, this is, uh, probably yeah. the, one of the one of the uh, uh, eye-catching uh, runs of the afternoon. Nick's go. Uh, I'm sure Brandon had this several times. It was, uh, drinking that Brad Cox Kool-Aid. Uh, your thoughts on the effort of Nick's go? Yeah, I you know just did not disappoint. I, I, that was the one one race I felt super confident in, and and sure enough, man, ran a big big figure. It felt like I thought our collector. Uh, where did our collector place there? He, he bled. Was, uh, our collector, oh, he, he bled. Yeah. I did not know that. Okay. Board. Yeah. But the biggest shocker again was Jesus team. You know, you should always bet in Jesus because that horse is going to come running. <laughs> and I mean, to, to do that in the Preakness and then was it Preakness or Belmont? Uh, Pre- the, Belmont. the biggest, yeah, big, big surprise. Uh, but I, I had Nick's go, but I, you know, I had really our collector too. So, um, I, I got through that leg for sure. Well, you know, Nick's going to be in everybody's single. After you saw the races on Friday, you knew Nick's goal was going to win. Right. I know we singled in, in a lot of different things. And uh, you had him as your single, even though you love Art Collector. But, I mean, the way things are going, you had to go with Nick's go. And then you see that quarter go up 21-3, and three, going a mile, 44. And you're like, well, there's no way. And back in the day, your horse goes 44 and change going a two-turn mile. You can just – tear your tickets up but not on this day with this track that fast and with this horse and that kind of form just draws off to win and was it 132 or something 133 what was the final time cc it, it was a track record i mean it never really was threatened i mean that they're not supposed to do that but <laughs> brad cox is in another zone this weekend right absolutely right uh we gotta give a tip of the captain brandon he gave us he gave out harvey's little goyle even though i didn't capitalize on it i almost capitalized uh, you did capitalize, Brandon. Uh, Harvey's little goal ran a big, big race just to finish third behind the uh, the foreign filly Adaria and the American Star Rushing Fall. Why don't you take us through uh, the stretch run of the filly and mare turf? Well, I tell you, you know, I was definitely watching Harvey's little goal, uh, but the top two were really going at it, if I remember correctly, and. But they finished like pretty tight in one, two, three, because I remember hoping Harvey's Little Goyle got third. She was like 27 to one, I believe, or 22. Uh, just tremendous odds. Luckily, I had the, the 50 cent trifecta, which paid, I think it was $830. And then I started going on my, 
my little spree a little bit after that. But uh, that was a great race. I thought Harvey's Little Goyle actually reconnected back to those two and made a really great race of it uh, coming down the stretch. I got super excited. It was probably one of the moments where I felt like I visually saw a horse in the morning on the backside of Churchill training and got to see that training carry over onto uh, the surface of Keeneland, the turf. And uh, I, I, I felt, you know, I felt very, you know, happy about the result, really. And, and like I said, I mean, she got beat by a nose uh, and just missed second. So uh, I thought for a little while she caught it. And I, that was the only horse I think I played across the board at such odds. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I think this filly, when she learns to relax, I think she, you know, she'll, she'll run all day. You, you might see her in the Breeders' Cup turf next year, you know, going a mile and a half. I think she's at, she's, she's got that. Here's my case in point for why there's too many races on a card is race nine. <laughs> Order of Australia won the Breeders' Cup mile at 73 to one. I was going to single this horse the day before <laughs> in the early pick four. Yeah, you I, were, this was yeah. my single and I was, you know, going through the card and, I was halfway working and halfway, you know, handicapping, and I saw that right, saw that horse scratch. I'm like, crap! I guess he got injured coming over here, you know. And, and you know, never dawned on me that he, the reason he scratched was to run in the uh, the mile because he drew in off the scratch of one master. And I never, I don't think I even looked at this horse. I just kicked him out, just you know, thinking I, I, the horse had won like thirty seven thousand dollars lifetime, two for seven, and and never never indicated any type of ability. To run, you know, this type of. I think the I did go back and watch a, a previous race of his going a mile and a half. I was like, well, this horse can stay all day. I didn't think he could win this race, but you know, this this is there's just too many races, and you know, I'm pretty disappointed in the results of this race. I didn't like this horse at all. I mean, it, did did you guys? Well, Brandon had him in the pick pick three, jerk. Yep, I start I started a pick three, singled Monomoy Girl, and hit on Tarnawa. But I would have loved if Channel Maker would have won for once. <laughs> well i uh this is this was when you 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 have a I had a good weekend but this was a, a backbreaker from a uh from a ticket construction standpoint personally i uh i double singled in my pick four i double singled monomoy girl and i turn and then i went all in a classic but i only used 11 to 14 in this one it was only a 50 dollar ticket and uh one of the three that i kicked out was that horse to the far outside for aiden o'brien uh, and like you see, see, I didn't really, I, I can't really be mad at myself. I didn't strongly consider the horse. It sucks to lose a double single, but honestly, the horse won convincingly. I mean, he, he came from the far outside to win it at a mile. It's pretty impressive, but uh, I missed this one. I, I blew this one uh, by not just throwing a couple more bucks in there. Yeah, and we saw uh, the champion mayor. Monomoy girl win the Breeders' Cup distaff uh, with a big effort. Uh, and then they sold her the next night at Phasic Tipton for $9 million, right? Did you, Brandon, you bid on that Philly, right? Were you there to, <laughs> right. to bid on that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I tapped out at the 50000 mark. Yeah. And she went to <laughs> 9.5. <laughs> oh. Well, I sat with Brandon uh, on Breeders' Cup Saturday in, in the gold room at Churchill, and then and this was his biggest reaction for a three to five shot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It was really embarrassing to watch, to be honest with you. I mean, you, you tipped over three tables and, and knocked an old lady down. And uh, I mean, I was I tried to distance myself from you after that, but uh, Monomoy yeah. girl, 
this race actually got me back into things. I had the trifecta here. I was pretty happy about that, but nobody wants to hear about that. Let's go to race no, well, 11. We got it. Well, go ahead. Go real ahead. Quick, real quick. Uh, that race from a, from a wagering standpoint is a good uh, example for people um, how to bet tries in supers lots of times because in races where there appears to be two horses that are two rock-solid one-two candidates like in that race, if you can get one of them uh, out of the, the main spot, the two, three spot, the four spot, like Swiss Skydiver did. The trifectas and the superfectas in that race paid enormous, considering Monomoly Girl won the race. And that's a good example. So anytime you have a two-horse race and you can get one out of the logical spot, uh, you'll get some payoffs. And that, that race is a good example. All right, let's talk about the turf real quick. Uh, we got to give a credit to Van Tansen, who was on our podcast last week, and he really liked Tarnawa. And that uh, that helped me a whole lot. I like Tarnava as well after listening to him. And she she came with a massive late kick to win the turf. I think, judging by a lot of the winners on Saturday, I think the outside part of the turf course was the place to be with a final you know with your final kick. So this this filly is uh, probably not the toughest Breeders' Cup turf of all time, but that was uh, it was a fun race to watch. Let's wrap it up with the classic. Uh, it was authentic, basically wire to wire. Uh, Tis the law showed nothing, and now he's going to have a, a new jockey the next time he races. Uh, John Velasquez is going to ride Tis the law instead of Manny Franco. I think they've had enough of the <laughs> the uh, non-aggressive rides from Mr. Franco. Well, we have a um, uh, we have a, a guest come up here shortly uh, who is very happy with the uh, result of authentic going wire to wire in that race. And in fairness, that race is over. At the get-go, nobody went with authentic. It was over. Um, so, you know, I think the, the timer was wrong. I think they had the opening quarter at 17 seconds, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Uh, yeah. And so yeah. it's like, uh, you know, that's pretty impressive to uh, wire the field going in a 17-second quarter. But, of course, obviously the timing, there was a timer malfunction. The biggest disappointment from a wagering and from a fan standpoint in that race, though, for me, is Tom, is, uh, Tom Zaytal. Tom Zaytal never lifted a hoof in the – the final race of his career, if I'm not mistaken. And at this point, to see a horse that's had such a storied career not run better. I'm sure a lot of people thought the same thing about Tiz the Law, yeah. but take nothing away from the winner. It would just be nice to see Tom Zaytaw run a little bit better in this in this spot. Yeah, I was I was definitely disappointed, but hats off to the winner and, and to our guests who get gets to come on tonight. Uh, great, great, uh, great job by Bob Baffert and that team and uh, to come one, two in the biggest, you know, race of the year is, is phenomenal. Uh, Good I effort by a global campaign, I was, too. I was Tizzle all day. Yeah. Authentic now retires to stud. I think uh, well, global campaign retires to stud. Tom's Data is retired now. I think we get improbable back probably next year. Uh, by my standards, may come back in the Clark handicap. Tizzle Law will be back. <laughs> Tastis will probably be back. Maximum security will probably be retired. I think. I think he's going yeah. for. A, yeah, he's going to stud as well at Coolmore. So. Tis the law is going in the Pegasus, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, Tis the, the law will probably return some point in the Pegasus. Johnny v. Yeah, with Johnny V aboard. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so that uh, that wraps up Breeders' Cup 2020, and uh, with Authentic's big victory, that uh, that is a good segue into our next guest, and uh, Brandon's going to introduce that person for us. Brandon Jaggers with the Auxiliary Podcast with my friends Alan Schneider, CeCe Broadus, and we got a special guest tonight, somebody that's coming off a really great year of horse racing, a special horse that was in his stable for many, many months, 
and a great win on Saturday in the Breeders' Cup Classic. I want to introduce everybody tonight to the owner of Authentic, Mr. Lanzen Robbins. Lanzen, how are you? I'm great, Brandon. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Good. Fantastic. Congratulations on a big win. Thank you. And I wish I was the owner, but I'm just a co-owner, so I just want to make that clear from the outset. <laughs> <laughs> well, no big deal. It's still to be great a part of it. I know you've been uh, a part of that horse and a part of the ownership group for a, a good while now, and uh, we appreciate your time tonight and just really wanted to share our listeners a little bit about you, kind of how you came into horse racing, your start, uh, definitely how you became part of, of Starlight and and that great partnership that's a lot of, uh, I think that's mostly all Kentucky folks, if, I re- if I'm mistaken, uh, and just well, another. Uh, yeah, Starlight has a, a group from across the country, but definitely a, a big foundation with, with uh, Louisville people, so that makes it a little funner. Yeah, but, since you know, I- I'm, <clears throat> I'm not from Kentucky. Originally, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, was born and raised there, and my dad was from Henderson, Kentucky. So when we were kids in the 70s, we'd visit my grandparents. And uh, when he was a, a little kid in the uh, 40s, I guess, he sold pencils and programs at what was then Dade Park. It's now Ellis Park. And so conveniently, when we went to visit my grandparents, um, you know, in the 70s, it was all built around the summer Ellis Park schedule, which is, I guess, good or bad for me. I don't know if that, I don't know what what the <laughs> verdict on that's going to be, but I just had a, uh, you know, a, an affinity with horses from a young age, and um, I bought my first horse in 1995 with a group of five other guys, and um, that horse, her name was Avi's Trick. Um, a guy named a guy named TB Smith trained trained her and you know he was a nebraska native and kind of came over to the kentucky circuit and tv was a the, just the ultimate hay oats and waters honest mm-hmm. you know honest guy love tv she broke her maiden uh in 95 or 6 i forget which year and it was uh at at uh, turfway park maiden special weight forty six thousand dollars so i know the the old school people on here would you know kind of laugh at that and say wow that was a big purse for turfway which back then it was it was um, you know it was a great purse and um, we're hoping obviously with churchill buying that place and taking it over it'll uh, come back but you know as time went on <clears throat> i've always had this uh this strong passion for horses so i just um i bought in in a couple of syndicates with centennial park uh or centennial farms when don little senior ran it and you know, this didn't have a whole lot of luck. And what I noticed with a lot of the syndicates back then, and this is the the late 90s at this point, was they didn't put any of the money up. And, you know, they were making a lot of the money with, with uh, very little risk. So um, what I decided to do in 2001 was go in and buy some yearlings on my own. And I, I let TV do that. So TV Smith, I gave him a million dollars. I said, hey, let's go buy four Colts. And... On September 10th, 2001, I remember this day vividly. It was the day before 9-11, of course. And mm-hmm. the very first horse that we were bidding on was hip 66. Uh, it was a wild again colt. And um, TV's like, I really like this horse athletically uh, because he's by wild again. I, I think he's affordable because our, you know, we had four horse 
with um, four horses that we were looking at for a million dollar budget and our budget on him was 250,000. So <clears throat> the price got to 250. We we were 225, price got to 250. I looked at TV and he kind of shook his head. So I went to 275 and some guy three or four rows behind me bid 300. And oh. I look at TV and, you know, TV's a very conservative guy. And we talked a little bit and I'm like, let's just do it. So I bid one more time, 325. And the guy behind me stopped. <laughs> well, as it turns out, Awfully Wild, his, it, the, the horse ended up being a horse named Awfully Wild. And I'll Awfully tell you Wild, yes. In a minute. Yeah. So uh, Helen Alexander bred Awfully Wild. Her husband is Michael Matz. The underbidder on that horse was the breeder's husband, Michael Matz. And you know, he really wanted to have that horse, and I think he probably went over what he thought he wanted to pay as well. But long story short, we got Awfully Wild. Awfully Wild ended up being the very first horse I ever entered in a graded stakes race. That was the 2003 Holy Bull, which was January that year. And he went off at 27 to 1. We flew down there and uh, had, a, had a few folks with us. Um, 27 to 1, ended up beating a horse called Powerful Touch, who um, Kenny McPeak trained. And, um, you know, it was it was such an unbelievable day to win a race. And a lot of you guys out there that, you know, you, if, if you train or own or bet horses, when you have a horse that's a long shot that wins, it just gives you so much more adrenaline than if you have uh -huh. a four to five, right? Because all the four you to got that four right. to five, you got all the pressure and you feel it, you know, it feels terrible. if you Even if you finish second, right? But when you're 27 to one and win, you're like, this is great. So anyway, that was just either good or bad luck. You know, the first horse I bought by it as a yearling at Keeneland ends up being a great, you know, that was a great three. And then he ends up winning grade two mass cap in 04, grade one suburban. That was a, a grade one in 05. And uh, before that, uh, you know, I was telling Brandon a little bit. So Bruce Lunsford and I became friends. And in 04, we kind of went to Keeneland with the same plan. We said, a million dollars frankie brothers was you know a bloodstock guy day one at keeneland 2004 and i don't remember his hip number but um frankie really loved this giants causeway colt and he's like let's go that you know i think 380 um is our max bid on this horse so actually it was like maybe 375 but we went up going and bidding on um this horse and we bid to 380 and somebody bids 390 and we say we're out. So the the breeder of that horse, who happens to be a guy named John Gunther, who I'm sure all of you all know, mm -hmm. yes. comes up and says, you know, the reserve on this horse is 390. Would you guys <laughs> like to go to that? Or like, sure. That horse ended up being first samurai. So, oh, wow. you know, we have... Uh, Awfully wild as you fast forward, he won the Holy Bull in 03 and the Mass Cap in 04. He won the Suburban, which was a great one then in 05. Two or three weeks after that, first Samurai wins the Hopeful. Then he goes on and wins the Champagne. So here's the guy. It's like, it, again, I don't know if it's good luck or bad luck. And I told my wife at the time, I'm like, we will never win three grade ones in a, you know, whatever it was, an eight-week period in our lives again. So, you know, that was a, it was a great way to start the venture. Um, but you know, what happens when you get successful early like that, I think is that you're like, this is easy, right? I mean, you know, well, I don't, I don't understand why people say they lose money in this sport. I mean, I got two stallions now, Darley buys off the wild, 
Uh, you know, Claiborne syndicates for Samurai, which Bruce and I still own a big chunk of, by the way. But so I just like went into it in a big way. And by 2009, I had 120 horses that I owned all or part of and including 24 broodmares. And, you know, the problem with 24 broodmares is that the next year you got basically, you know, roughly 20 more babies. And then you start yeah. adding. You know, so one night in 2009, you go through the you know, the financial crisis, and I, you know, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, so my businesses are mostly consumer driven. And you start doing the math of 120 horses, and I did not own all of them, but a lot of them I owned a lot, 100% of, or more than 50% of. And you know, you wake up in a cold sweat and go, "What am I doing? This is not my main business. It's not what I do for a living. It's what I, I started out having fun with, and now." <laughs> You know, now I got this huge mountain of burden here. So, I, ironically, I met Jack Wolf that year. And uh, what's interesting is that Jack had started Starlight in 2001. And in that 2003, Holy Bull Stakes, his horse, the Starlight horse, was a horse named Bam, B A H M. And he was the favorite in that race. And I didn't know who Jack Wolf was then. I didn't, I didn't even know who Bam was then. But you know, we we beat him soundly in that, but we started kind of reminiscing about our experiences. We met in an elevator at Churchill Downs, and um, he was trying to, to find a new bloodstock agent. He wanted to move on from the guy he was with, and I'm like, listen, Frankie Brothers just retired. This guy is, first of all, an incredible horseman. Second of all, he's as honest as could be, and he's got a great eye for horses. I mean, he bought for Samurai, for me and Bruce, and um, this guy's going to go to the sales and just be the guy to, to, you know, I think really do great things for, for you. And so a few months later, he hires Frankie brothers as their bloodstock agent. And when he did that, wow. I was, nine, I said, I'm in. So, you know, an wow. interesting transition, um, is that in 2000, uh, I guess 18, when we bought authentic. We bought 22 horses. So, you know, this is all public information that I can't, I'm not going to expect, you know, kind of reveal anything that's not, but Starlight uh, joined a partnership with SF Bloodstock and a few other groups. And we were 25% of this group that bought 22 horses for $11 million. And, you know, there's roughly 10 to 12 of us in Starlight that put the money up every year. You can do the math, what 25% of, mm -hmm. of that is. And, Authentic was the very last horse that we bought in that group. And wow. Frankie came up to the, you know, Donato Lani is, you know, kind of the lead guy there. Frankie helps him. Uh, so Frankie comes up to Donato and says, I got one more we need to look at. Just into mischief. Um, he was the very last horse out of 22 that we bought for 350000 which, you know, you can look at the list of the horses that, SF Bloodstock and Starlight West bought that year, but you know, it was an incredible group of horses. I mean, you had um, Charlton, who still, you know, yet to oh. finish his career. You had Eight Rings, who was a brilliant two-year-old and you know didn't develop quite as much as people would hope. But those guys did an incredible job. And of course, you have to give credit to Bob Baffert and his team. You know, Bob comes in there and he gives the final okay. I mean. Even if Donato loves a horse, I think Bob comes in there and says, nope, that's, that's not the one. 
I just think that team and what they do is, is truly brilliant. So that was the first year that Starlight kind of did this group with um, the Starlight West, you know, with the uh, SF Bloodstock and the, and the Baffert team to, to create what became authentic. Wow. And, and then can you talk about the My Racehorse piece that kind of came in? It's kinda, and that's a really fresh new type of syndicate that had, you know, 5,314 members that, that yeah, so got to I, buy I, that here, kind of a chariot piece. Here's the deal. I don't know much about them. I've met those guys that run it. But so what we did before the Santa Anita Derby, we sold the group. Again, Starlight was 25%. As I said, Bloodstock was 25%. We had five other guys that had uh, roughly 10% each. We sold the breeding rights, and most of the other people sold all the racing rights. Starlight kept 5% of Authentic to Spendthrift, and that was before the Sanity Derby. And, of course, you have all kinds of kickers, and I can't disclose what those were, but mm -hmm. you, know, you have certain milestones you hit, and you get you know X amount of more dollars. And what... Spencer did, which is good for them. They partnered with these My Racehorse guys, and they went out and syndicated online, um, or however they did it, the you know, the shares. And yeah. I think people, what were they paying, $250 for a piece? But, you know, the denominator right. was, pretty, was pretty big. So that, that's all we really know about that. Yeah. And I tell you, it's, it's something totally new to the horse racing market. But, Lansing, you mentioned something very early on that a lot of our, our listeners, you know, always have that dream of, of horse ownership. How do you get started? It's, it's a tough barrier at, at first, you know, and you, and you kind of felt the pains. It sounds like the first five years or so with, with partnerships and, and finding the right people to do business with. And, you know, what, what is your ideal or, or how would you advise of somebody that was trying to get into the business? You know, what, what, what should be kind of the things that they would need to look for? Well, I think the um, the reality in the horse industry is that it's a shark-filled waters, right? I mean, so you have to be extremely careful about who you associate with, and you know, don't don't give your money to people that you don't know or trust. And I started out simple. There's a group of six of us. We paid twenty-five thousand dollars for Abby's trick. I told you about her. So it was, you yeah. know, it was a nominal relative. I mean, for the horse business to buy a horse for twenty-five grand and split it six ways. I mean, it was a great way to start. You kind of yep. learn the ropes. The main thing is getting an honest trainer and an honest, right. um, you know, whoever's buying a horse for you. I mean, I think where you lose the most money and as someone that spent literally tens of millions of dollars in the game is when you acquire a horse. So, you know, making sure you trust your bloodstock agent um, or whoever's selling you the horse if a bloodstock agent's not involved. Um, because it's not like you can look at a car and say, wow, this car's got a V8 engine, it's got all these, you know, you know, it's a Mercedes and it's got these features in it. It's not like that. It's a very arbitrary thing. And it's it, even to this day, as many horses as I've owned, I can go to the horse sale and it's like, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I need guys like Frankie or Donato or people that know what they're looking at to say, this is a top end horse or it's not. So, you know, I think right. the key is just starting small whatever you do when you get in the horse business even if you have unlimited amount of money just get in small and learn um because benjamin franklin said it best experience is a dear teacher he meant 
one, it's very valuable because you learn a lot. But number two, it's very expensive, right? When you go through learning, mm-hmm. you um, you pay a lot of price for that. So I, I'm, I'm glad I started out slow. And then I, to be honest, I got in really big. And, you know, fortunately for me, I had those two stallions. Um, but in the middle, it's a very cyclical uh, industry, you know, not industry, but business, right? And it doesn't matter how smart you think you are or how good the people are around you. I mean, one bad step on one day or one, you know, one thing that wasn't right in your analysis when you buy a horse and, it, you know, you're down a lot of money. So it's a you know, it's kind of a treacherous um, business, but it's the, the fun of it is unprecedented. Right. I mean, you just right. can't beat when you have a horse. I mean. Brandon, you saw it the other day. You won a Keeneland. I mean, you have a horse that wins a race. It, it just, it's the thrill is, it's hard to match. Yeah. And you find those people along the way in the path of your life and you start talking to folks and this syndicate doesn't charge back the owners for management. You know, the guy, Dan Glick, I, I tell a lot of people, he's just a, a very trustworthy guy. It's somebody that you would want to do business with in real estate or opening up a uh, some type of retail shop or anything that you do in life. This is somebody that you would trust. So it kind of, it really kind of goes with uh, the business of horse racing too, because I vetted so many different syndicates and they all wanted to charge the owners. I mean, at the end of the day, I could, after putting in so much money, I felt like I could go to see, you know, or Sizzlers to get a buffet or something, you know, if we actually <laughs> won. Now I right. feel like it, I have something a little bit more tangible and, not like I put money into the wind. So I've been trying to tell people that for a long time. And I mean, I must have vetted so many syndicates, but really it comes down to knowing some people that have done it, some good, trustworthy folks, just like in normal business life. So absolutely. uh, Well, that that's exciting. And so authentic is now retired and he's now retired. And of course that was spendthrift decision. And obviously none of us can blame, blame him. I mean, that what an incredible year he had and, uh, with with without some bad luck in the Santa Anita Derby, I mean, he he probably should have won that if he hadn't broken to the far right when that started. But he yeah. he had a great he had a great year. What um so what what's in your upcoming stable and your two year old stable? Do, do you have a, a few few runners we should take note to and have our listeners kind of follow? Yeah, so we um we had a um so we've done this. Um, I guess this is our third year. We bought yearlings this year, <clears throat> as far as the Starlight West with, with the Baffer Group, um, and we have two-year-olds now starting to race. We had a maiden win first out Sunday, I think it was at uh, Del Mar. His name is Seville Road. Uh, you guys saw Spielberg. I mean, he's we paid a million dollars. Yeah. I, you know, I told these guys, it's like, why are we paying a million dollars? I know, I know these guys are getting confident. We've had some with eight rings, you know, this, when they're buying guys, uh, horses like Spielberg, they're watching eight rings who this is last year, right? Not this year. And they're like, Hey, this is going to, we're going to kill this thing. And it's like, I, I just buying horses for a million dollars never works out. But anyway, you know, Seville road looked good, but what I've learned in the horse business, when they win as two-year-olds, you really don't want that. You know, look at Authentic. I mean, he didn't really develop until later than that. And um, I had Awfully Wild, who won as a two-year-old, but he didn't become great until he was three, four, and five. And then I had a horse like First Samurai, who was brilliant as a two-year-old. And they just 
they rarely move up after that, you know, and there's a few exceptions, don't get me wrong, but I'd much rather have a horse that kind of wins a race or two as a two-year-old and then starts moving into it and kind of moves forward versus is is great early because those horses that are great early that I just in my experience they rarely kind of show that brilliance after they're two years old I've said that for a while too and it's you know they either you know they may have setbacks so they don't even race till they're three I almost prefer a setback or two you know mm-hmm. I don't like them when they're on the balance sheet and have to have to get them going and you know, they're coming out of these sales and they're, and they're trained, but then they need a little bit more on track training. And, uh, you just never know. They take a step back to get hurt and you see them a year from later, you know, a year later. And that's, that's just, right. it's, I hate seeing that, but, uh, well, we'll take note of those for sure. Uh, anything at Churchill Downs, uh, any, anybody that's going to run there? You know, not, not at this point. I think that we are, we are going to try to make more of a focus on, Kentucky racing. Uh, interestingly, we had dinner with Bob Baffert on Friday before the, uh, the Breeders' Cup on Saturday, and he was kind of making the point like, I don't, I'm not sure where I'm going to end up, but I don't know that it will be California, so you all should have him on the show and kind of get huh. what his feelings are. But, he, you know, his point was, hey, I think the best racing right now is Oakland. You got Arkansas and you got Kentucky. You, I agree. Um, and, as <laughs> long, and as long as they don't overturn this uh <laughs> i'm not going to come slot machines whatever they call the instant racing games yeah it's what right. we should have done 15 years ago in kentucky right so when oh. i was big in this when i started buying big in this game in the sport in 2000 all my horses went to new york i mean because the purses were twice what they were here and it was frustrating to me because when i fell in love with a horse i've lived here since 1987 it's like i want my horses here in Kentucky, right? I can go see them. I can watch them in person. And then yeah. you just look at the business side of it and you're like, well, let's see, I can race here in Kentucky for $40,000 allowance, or I can go to freaking Belmont and Aqueduct and, and Saratoga and race for twice that. And it was sad to see the, you know, the Kentucky, Kentucky legislator, not leg- legislation, not allow us to do what all the other states around us were doing. So you know, I, I just hope that things go well for that end of it because Churchill Downs is bought into it with them buying Turfway and, and having the plans that they have there. And we know what they'll do with Churchill. I mean, they'll make that a yeah. great, great venue for that kind of stuff. And the purses will, will be tremendous. Yep. And if it wasn't for COVID and this little setback, I mean, the purses would be even higher, I thought, I think. But uh, Agreed. That that's kind of why we started this podcast because Kentucky was coming back on, the purses started getting fueled, the talent was coming, the barns were coming, and the just the quality of horsemen and horses. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's anything better in the country right now than Kentucky. But uh, you know, we're going to shift out here in, in November, uh, late November, and and go different ways. But I think we're going to fairgrounds with our our. Uh, three horses we have so we'll see what happens down there but it, it's a it's a long road to come back no doubt guys do you guys have any other questions for lansden tonight yeah i do uh lansden uh just curious do you have any input into the yearling selection process or, or do you leave that to the to the the guys at the top of the of the uh the food chain so to speak 
Yeah, I've always left that up to them. I mean, at the end of the day, you go and look at them. But just being totally honest, again, as many horses as I've bought at auction, it's just it's not my skill set. I have other skill sets, but as a business person, I just believe in you hire the experts. And I, I will tell you this. I think the best buyers of, of yearlings or horse, horses are trainers. So I've had TV Smith who bought Awfully Wild. I've had Frankie Brothers who bought First Samurai. And, you know, of course, uh, Authentic. And, you know, Kenny McPeak was a trainer. And I think he's a great eye for horses. I mean, uh, question what you want about the training. But I will tell you this. When you get trainers that know what they have to deal with day to day, I just think they're the ultimate, um, you know, kind of authenticators of what you get in a horse's a horse. So I, I definitely let them do it. And I don't let my I don't want my ego get involved in saying, well, this, you know, the breeding's not good on that. It's like you look at them, it's like, who's the athlete and what can you deal with? And again, as a trainer, when I talk to them, when they're buying them, they, they know what they can train through. Do you have any broodmares right now? Well. So here's the deal. No, the answer is no. You know, I had my max at 24 in 2009. What I learned about that was that it doesn't matter how smart you think you are and you've got the nicking right and you're like, get the, you think you have the perfect breeding set up and they turn out, they come out, they're crooked or they die or they're just not very good. And I've had some homebreds that, you know, I had a homebred, my first samurai out of my first graded, uh, first ungraded stakes winner uh, was a, a horse named Message Red. She won the Schuylerville, uh, was first samurai's first graded stakes winner. And I can promise you this, Claiborne Farm would have never accepted that mare to breed the first samurai in his first year. Um, and because I sent some blue blood or some, you know, non-blue blood mares to them, we got the first graded stakes winner. So I just think the breeding side is very difficult. And again, it's not my full-time occupation or job. So I, I think when you go to the sales, you can kind of weed through. You don't have to take the risk of of, uh, of the breeding and the upkeep for what is, you know, it's two years. You've got to breed a horse. You've got to keep the mare. You've got to have the baby. You've got to wait a year. I mean, it, it's a it's a long-term investment that that is high risk. Just curious, and you don't have to answer this, but the, will any – like would would stay in seasons to authentic would that trickle down to 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 you or 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 is that something that's you know that that goes to the to the main syndicate or spendthrift or or whoever or or will you get a part of that by any chance no spendthrift brought brought bought 100 percent of the breeding right so that that would be a question for them they they own 100 percent of that that breeding right i got you okay uh hey uh go ahead cz go ahead well, no, I just wanted to talk about Awfully Wild for a little bit. Uh, I, yeah, same. My, my memory, yeah, my memory is not what it used to be, but uh, I didn't realize this horse was such a good older horse. Uh, he went on to win the mass cap. Uh, do you have any, uh, do you remember uh, traveling with the horse? Did you ever uh, go to Suffolk or, or uh, any of those races to see Awfully Wild run? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I saw every race he ran. So, you know, the, the, uh, I told you about the Holy Bull. We flew, we just flew in. We chartered a jet. There were six of us flew up there, um, won that race 27 to one. And then, you know, TV Smith had him and he just, he ran in the Kentucky Derby in 03 when Funny Side won. And one interesting tidbit about Funny Side and Awfully Wild, they ran in four 
graded stakes against each other, okay? Starting with the Holy Bull, funny side finished fourth in that race or third, I forget which, but what third or fourth. Uh, Awfully Wild beat Funny Side, not beat him, but won the race in three out of four times. The only time that Awfully Wild did not win a race when he ran against Funny Side was the Kentucky Derby. And I think that, you know, TV Smith, and this is back in 03 when these trainers were all using steroids, steroids, TV Smith was not. And I knew when we got to the Derby and I'm looking at these New York guys, you know, you had um, Bobby Frankel, who had Empire Maker, I think was in that race, and he was the favorite. And Frankel trained for me too, by the way, but they, all these guys were using steroids. And back back then it was legal. I mean, it everybody like cringes when they hear that word, but it was not illegal to do that. And my horse trainer didn't believe in it and that was fine. But you could kind of see as they developed as a three-year-old that he was not keeping up with these other horses. And now when you look back, you know exactly why. But anyway, he he continued to decline in TV Smith's care. So, um, you know, I mentioned Bobby Frankel. He had a couple of horses for me that I bought privately in Argentina and they were in New York and he couldn't get any of them to win. And he wanted to move them both to California in the winter. And I said, I think this was 01 or two. And I'm like, I'm not shipping those horses to California. And um, not to bring up a bad subject, but he introduced me to Rick Dutrow. And Rick did incredible things with one of the horses I left there. And so I moved awfully wild to Rick Dutrow. And, um, you know, he came in the, into the mass cap 15 to 1. And uh, funny side was in there. I think there were five grade one winners in there. Um, and awfully wild won that. It was another, um, Larry Colmas called it. You can look it up on the internet. Look up the 2004 mass cap. Uh, I had a friend the next day, you know, ran Saturday. We flew in there, flew back. I'm out Sunday morning working out. I get a call from a friend of mine in California about 10 o'clock in the morning. He's like, did you, did your horse run in Boston yesterday? I'm like, yeah, why? <laughs> the number three sports highlight on Sports Center. You know when they did the top 10, they go down. Yeah. yeah. He, the number three highlight on Sunday, whatever day that was in June or July, it was the stretch call of Larry Colmas calling the mascot because there were three horses at Awfully Wild Funny Side and the ladies' groom. Uh, and it was, as Larry Colmas said, it's a thrilling mascot. And hmm. I remember being there and just, I didn't know who won. I, but I heard Larry Colmas call it. He, I was amazed that he had, you know, the vision to call it. Because if I were a track announcer, I would, I would have been hesitant to know who, who had won that race. But Awfully Wild won it. It was a great race. Hey, uh, Landon, I was, I was going to ask you about Awfully Wild, too. You know, uh, I guess 2015 Breeders' Cup Classic, you had a bit of an interest in that one, didn't you? Since it was Awfully Wild's son that won the Classic that year, right? Bairn. Bairn. Right? So, here, listen to this. So, Bairn, of course, Baffert got Bairn. Donato picked him out, by the way. And... Um, I, my son, and he's 15 now, so that he'd have been 10. He had a bunch of his friends over, and I gave him all $20. I'm like, listen, guys, I think Baron was number one, if I recall. And I'm like, listen, guys, yeah. if number one wins, you guys can keep that $20. If he doesn't win, you got to give it all back. So I had all these 10-year-olds, pre-COVID, everybody knows, five years ago, right? And yes. you should have heard that our our room, our living room was going crazy. These kids were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, then they had that 20 minute inquiry. And, yeah. You know, as a, as a horseman, I got to tell you, the horse probably should have been DQ'd. And <laughs> when he wasn't, 
those kids were jumping up and down and um, it was it was crazy. So, yes, I remember Baron very well. Was Baron on the break? Is that what happened? He came over so much when he broke? Oh, my gosh. He came out of the gate and, like, took out the whole field. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I love that horse that match. I didn't have any idea you were a part of that. Wow, that's, well, that's great. No, I wasn't. I, I wasn't. Oh. He's just his son. He's just the best son of uh, oh, Robert Wilder. Right. Yeah. You know, the other funny story, I was at the, I think it was 09 Breeders' Cup. Uh, Breeders Cup. It was 08 or 09. Um, it, it had to be early 08 because I was there. I met with Gary Player. And we were talking. He was He's a very cool guy, by the way. And Shebe Wild, who Wayne Catalano trained, yes. was running in the, in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and uh, for Phillies. And we kind of tell him, it's like, yeah, Awfully Wild was our horse. And um, that horse came down and came up that rail and won that race. And my wife and I were there. We were jumping up and down like we owned the horse. Because, you know, we wanted to, I think of the year, he was freshman sire of the year. And that's another thing people don't realize. I think it, 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 he was not well um, supported his front, you know, his first year at stud and he still won the freshman stallion of the year that year, which was incredible. Um, but we were cheering up and down on that horse. She'd be wild. I remember that horse very, very well. That horse has some special monetary memories for me. I remember she'd be wild very, very well. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, guys, any other questions? Yeah. No, just one. Been, go, go ahead. Well, one more for Lansden. Uh, do you have an ETA on uh, on when uh, Charlotte? Yeah, Charlatan's going to come back. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that he was uh, targeting the Malibu, which is coming up. But oh wow, you know he had to one workout, and uh, I don't know. We'll see. Can I put you on the spot and ask you who's better, Charlatan or Authentic? Well, I think Charlatan um, as as shorter distance. And if you'd asked me three months ago, I'd have said Charlton, but I don't think Charlton can beat Authentic. I mean, that horse has proven himself. I mean, you look at the Derby, you had at the time the best horse, the best three-year-old in the country come right up to him and tis the law, couldn't go past him. You saw what happened Saturday. I mean, yeah. and that was a that was a very competitive field. I mean, it, I didn't single our horse. I went four deep. I mean, <laughs> I, I think, and, and I left tis the law out because I just didn't like the way he was training, but. That was a great field. Horse runs a 111 buyer. Charlton wouldn't wouldn't have beat that horse at that distance. So, um, you know, he's by Charlton's by Spitestown. So he's he's going to be brilliant at I think a mile and an eighth or shorter. And who you know, who knows? I mean, people were saying into mischief couldn't get the mile and a quarter either. But I, I do think Charlton's a brilliant horse as well. But he's super fast, you know. Yeah. Well, Lanson, this has been a treat for the podcast tonight. Your horse ownership and the years of experience of a lot of listeners will, will definitely take ear and, and take note of how you started and how you became who you are today. And, and, and in the future, too, you guys are going to have – so we're going to follow Starlight West. Is that where a lot of your, your horses are sitting right now in that syndicate? Yeah, so Starlight, what we do is we, you know, we put in around $4 million a year, and about three-quarters of that goes to Starlight West, which is the Baffert Group, and then the rest go to Todd Fletcher in New York. Um, and okay. Todd's had a lot of good luck for us through the years. And, yeah, so it always say Starlight or Starlight West. Great. Or my name. Well, I, bought, I did buy a few horses my, on my own this year, too. I'm going to send them to Tom Drury, though. You know, we want to talk about Kentucky trainers. There you go. I love Tom. Yeah. I love Tom Drury. I mean, Tom – 
if you guys go out to Skylight and see his training center, um, I don't know if we're running out of time, but no, you're good. Um, another horse that Bruce and I bought the same year we bought First Samurai was a horse named Drilling for Oil. And I, we sent him up to uh, Jimmy Jerkins in New York, and Jimmy called me after a few months and said, Lance and I can't train this horse. I'm sending him back. So I'm like, shit, well, you know, we paid, I don't know. <laughs> he was not cheap. He was 300000 or something like that. Another Giants Causeway. So I sent him to Tom Drury. And Tom takes him for a while. And this is 2006 or seven, And uh, Tom gets him, figures him out. Kenny McPeak was training for me at the time, so I sent him to, you know, Tom Drury was not a, you know, a, a race trainer guy. He was just the back end guy and sends him to Kenny and he runs in the grade three. And I forget the name of the race at Churchill Downs. Kent DeSormo rode him and um, that horse drilling for oil won that race incredibly easily. And I'll never forget Kenny saying, Jimmy Jerkins just called me and said, how in the hell did you get that horse to train? And I know Kenny had some part to do with it, but I know Tom Drury had a lot to do with it. And you can ask, you need to have Tom Drury on this show. We'd love and ask to. Him. Yeah, well, I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll tell him that, you know, you guys let me know when you want to hook up with him. So Tom, um, he did all these things and, he, you know, he tells, tells me the other day what he did it was great. But I sent Tom Drury a big picture with a thank you note. This is from 2007. He still has that. If you guys go out to Skylight Training Center, he still yeah. has that big winning photo of Grilling for Oil and my thank you note, which I'd obviously forgotten that I'd written, but it was there. And uh, I just, I like the guy. You see what he did with Art Collector this year. And I'm definitely sending him some horses because we all talked about the kind of how Kentucky's coming along. And I think he's going to be an up and coming guy. No question. Yeah, we all agree there. I mean, he's done phenomenal and. Uh, he's getting the credit where credit's due now, and he's probably deserved it for, like you said, that, that many years ago, too. So, well, Lanzan, thank you. This has been a treat for the podcast tonight. Uh, we'd love to have you back on, especially in the future come May, <laughs> May of 2021. <laughs> and hopefully we can all be at the track together. Uh, but uh, just once again, thank you very much for joining us. You bet. Thank you, guys. Okay, that was Lansden Robbins, everybody. That Very happy to have him on the show. Uh, and enjoyed the conversation, guys. Oh, definitely. He was, he was fantastic uh, hearing about uh, uh, living living through the eyes of someone who owns Authentic and, and uh, had a lot of success in, over the years. It's fantastic to hear him. A lot of great stories. Loved having him on. Hope to have him on here again in the near future. Yeah, totally agree. Super guest, one of the best owners uh, in the market right now, the way that they've got it set up and partnership and how he's formed that business is super successful congrats on all the success let's uh let's look at churchill's saturday card we'll try to give out a few selections here uh honestly not my favorite card i like a yeah the races on the back end a little bit more interesting Uh, i think the the first five or six races look very difficult and just uh uninspiring to say the least uh well we'll just throw it out there to anybody uh Guys, uh, uh, any, anything in the first four races you want to talk about? Uh, not, not personally, not really. I mean, you know. Where do you want? Uh, where do you want to dig in here? How about I'm race seven. seven. All right. Okay. Well, let's go to race seven then. This is a five and a half furlong optional claiming allowance. Uh, it's on the grass course, three years old and up. Non-winners of ten thousand twice and. 
the favorite will break from the rail. This is born great from the Brendan Walsh barn, five to two for Tyler Gaffleon. Horse backs out of the Shadwell turf mile. I have no idea why they thought they could uh, compete in there, but uh, <laughs> they took a shot at it. And now he returns here in a race that on paper looks like has a ton of speed. Uh, Alan, let's go to you first. Uh, where did you land in race seven? I will agree with you as a uh, per the norm. There's a lot of speed in this uh, turf sprint. Uh, the favorite is, as you mentioned, boring great. I think there's a big chance. Tyler Gaffleon gets off the horse I like to ride this horse, which I hope may uh, increase the price of the horse I do like, which is number 10, Holiday Stone. Uh, Florent Giroud takes over for Gaffleon. Gaffleon's horse is a world of talent, but he's still only won twice. He, he draws a rail in a race where a lot of the speed might be backing up. I think Holiday Stone draws well. Uh, it's done well to sprint distance in the past. Had just a breathtaking win down Kentucky Downs and might have the kind of uh, running style where he inhales the speed on the turn, hopefully, if he doesn't lose contact. And to draw off, the horses won at two turns, won at sprint distances. They got him six to one in the morning line in a pretty solid field. Maybe people see Gaffleon go to the uh, the Walsh horse and, and let Holiday Stone alone on the board. So I'm going to, I like the 10 quite a bit in here. Holiday Stone. Yeah, these turf sprints are always a lot of fun to handicap, and you always want to try to find a price. To me, I'm always spreading, so I'm going definitely with Allen uh, on Holiday Stone, taking Born Great. Uh, really, exactly what CC said. You know, this horse is a sprinter; it's not going to run a mile. I love the cutback, going back to the original of of his first tryout, of going to five and a half at Churchill again. Hope to see firm turf. Uh, the one hole could be tricky. I got a big price, though, in here. And this horse shouldn't, I mean, you got a uh, trainer, owner, hitting Julian Lamperu up. This horse <laughs> is shipping in off a crazy other track. But the work lines and tabs look wow. like the, the horse could do something. So, I mean, this is where you want to start. Uh, I'd love to see the, the speed here and see if it stays on to go five and a half furlongs with big money money Mike. And then I'm also to infinite on uh, Gerardo Corrales and Wesley Ward because, you know, Wesley's going to break faster than anybody out of the gate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's funny you mentioned big money, Mike. Is this one of those nights I was jonesing for some action and I was watching Presque Isle and the uh, paddock announcer there said that uh, he had gotten a text or a call or something from the owner or the trainer of this horse and said this horse was going to win his first start. This is a five-year-old making his debut at Presque Isle. <laughs> He went wire to wire, and I, I sat there and listened to it, and I didn't even bet the horse. It's like, there's no way this horse can win first out as a five-year-old. But he went on to win, and he, he, he's fast out of the gate. If he can take to the turf, that's a that's a whole new ball of wax, and he's got a mm -hmm. lot of speed to deal with. So, I, you know, maybe they bring this horse back to turfway, and we can uh, we can dig in there. But uh, I agree. Yeah, they, 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 they get Leperu. Leperu's interested, but, yeah, this horse seems like he might be – might be someone to keep an eye on on the uh, poly yeah. turf yeah, There's no doubt he's got some talent. Uh, uh, anything in race eight? I thought this race is just crazy. I, you know, this looks like the makings of an all race for me. This is a one mile claimer, fifty thousand dollar claimers, non winners of three races lifetime, or for three year olds, open to the, all three year olds. Uh, trying to find a favorite here. I, uh, help me out if you see any. Is it Mo's Mojo? Mo yeah, five, seven to two for Randy Morris. This horse uh, nearly 
pulled off a, a mild upset last time. Uh, he got beat by Dak Daniels. That's, that's one of those races. I think I had every horse in the race but the winner in my pick four. <laughs> but this horse tried Amazing. to go wire to wire. What what? Uh, I see some old favorites for Allen in here. Carte Blanche is in here, but he's got a, a new trainer now. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, you beat me to it there. It's this is the one turn mile. It's uh, you said you're probably right. It's a spread race and just throwing a dart. But because I know that Card Blanche, even with the new trainer in the past, has had a fondness, and I've had success with the horse going the one turn mile. His best racer, the one turn mile. He Phil DeMotto claimed him. He's five for sixteen off the claim. This horse had plenty of time to get to get right. Uh, he's he's beaten better. The work tab has been long and solid. At 10 to 1, I'm willing to give the horse a, a shot because I know he likes the one-turn trip at Churchill. This is where the horse fits at. Um, am I single on a horse? Of course not, but I will play carte blanche in this spot. And if I could have a 1A selection, the horse of the outside that I have to keep an eye on because it's the former trainer of carte blanche, who I love, you know, Wesley Hawley. He uh, has lonely private on the outside. This horse... May show speed. They take the blinkers off after a failed first trotter, Holly. Uh, maybe this horse will figure on a slight drop in class and the blinkers off. So uh, if I were, uh, I would probably spread in a race, but I will lean personally on carte blanche with maybe a, a nod to Wesley Holly and Lonely Private. And again, wouldn't be surprised if neither one of them hit the board, but, you know, a little price shopping here. I think it's important to note on number six, carte blanche, this is the, Probably, yeah, this is the only horse in the race that's not entered for a tag. I think you get, when your horse comes off a break, like this horse hasn't mm-hmm. raced since March 20th, you're allowed one start without having to race for a tag. That way, you know, you, you put all this work into a horse, you know, for months and months, and then you finally get to start him, and then somebody claims him off of you. You know, I, oh. the powers that be have decided that's not that's not really fair. So they give you they give you the option to to not run for a tag. So I think that's kind of telling that uh, the Damato barn says, hey, we're not going to we we like this horse. We want to keep him. Mm-hmm. So you know that that's something to keep an eye on. What about you, Brandon? You know, I'm I'm going to put a disclaimer out here, but I I really think Mozone is the one to beat. Number two, uh, with Eddie Keneally training, Tyler Gaff. Leon on the mouth. I think this horse was a little uh, mistaken. I know it hasn't started in a long time, so I'm I am going to watch this horse very. If they can return to form back when they were at Churchill, that's some good speed figures. I know it's a big layoff, but I think this horse has really got a shot. So I'm going to play it. You know, turf to dirt. Obviously, this you can't really give any credence to any of the percentages since the horse hadn't raced in quite a long time. But I'd like to see Mozone get a piece or win. Really, there you go. Race nine is an interesting race. Phillies and mares, three years old and up, which is never won a race other than main claimer starter. This is the one turn flat mile, and the favorite is number four, Ocean Breeze, for Wayne Catalano, daughter of Curlin. She stakes placed. Uh, Hasn't won since her second start. She's on a four four race losing streak. Uh, Brandon, race nine. Can we beat the favorite? Brad Cox. Brad Cox. <laughs> Brad Cox. Thank you. That's I it. I think I know who he likes. I think That's I know who he likes. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. 
and you're talking about number one Villanelle, another daughter of Curlin. Okay, she just broke yeah, her mate. That's right. Okay. Yeah, coming yeah. into form. I love it. Getting I bet that enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's a, I mean, it's tough, man. Ocean Breeze should really win out. Gary and Mary West always get a, a nice win on a card, especially a Saturday card. Uh, but th- this is going to be a really tough race. All right, Alan. Well, uh, I, I don't really love the race that much. Uh, you know, the, the morning, it's interesting. The, the three morning line favorites, uh, Ocean Breeze, Paleo Flag, and Villanelle are all uh, sons of Curlin, daughters of Curlin. The, the top three choices mm-hmm. are all by Curlin. Um, Ocean Breeze has burned a lot of money. Ocean Breeze and Paleo Flag look like the two to me. I would use Brandon's uh, uh, love for Brad Cox as my saber. But I think one of those three horses probably wins. I would lean on Paleo Flag and, and Ocean Breeze more so to just try to get through the race. I don't love the race. If I were playing a uh, a pick four, pick five, pick three, I would lean on all. Th- I would use all three and lean on Ocean Breeze and Paleo Flag. I'm, I'm not crazy about the race. Well, both of you are wrong. Ocean Breeze will win this by open links, and we'll move I've on. I thought that before, so. <laughs> Well, this this may be the easiest field she's faced, unless Paleo Flag is, you know, and Paleo, to her credit, she she could she could move up a lot here. So, you know, I'm not necessarily discounting her, but I think Ocean Breeze is is a class above these. I, I want to agree with you. I tend to agree with you on that, but I feel like Ocean Breeze is every time I thought that she's run second or third. But I, you know, I just have a hard time pulling the trigger to to that extent. But you are probably right here. Race ten is the Mrs. Revere Stakes, this is usually a really, really nice, deep-fielded race, but uh, contention is not really deep here. There's a seven-filly race. Uh, this is a $200,000 stakes, grade two, mile 16th on the grass. And the favorite is the winner of the Valley View Stakes, Stunning Sky, for Mike Maker, ridden by Ricardo Santana. Uh, yeah, the race came up really light this year, but Alan, uh, what, what are your thoughts on the Mrs. Revere? I'm with you there. It's a, I think it's a weak rendition of the Mrs. Revere. Uh, a little disappointing. Usually have that big full field of three-year-old fillies. It's a great betting race. Don't think it really is this year. Uh, I like Hendy Woods and Stunning Sky. No surprise there. Uh, you know, but between the two, you know, probably Mike Maker's uh, win so many turf races, it's hard to go against him. Mark Cassie's been a bit of a lull this year, but I'm going to give the slightest of nods to Handy Woods because I think he might have a touch of a pace advantage in a race where there's not a lot of pace. I think he might get the jump on Stunning Sky, or she might get the jump on Stunning Sky. But, again, it's it's a tepid choice, but I'll take Handy Woods in a disappointing renewal of the Mrs. Revere. Yeah, I don't see any surprises in this race. I'm with Alan here. Uh, maybe it's, uh, I'm just a little hungover still from Breeders' Cup, but, uh, this didn't, there should be any surprises in this race. There's going to be a th- three horses that are coming at this Princess Grace, Stunning Sky and Hindi Woods. I would, I would prefer to lean to Hindi Woods. Yeah, this, this might be a case where, you, you know, you, you want to be there for the wedding and not the funeral. I was on Princess Grace last time. And, you know, she went off seven and a half to one, but she, she, she had to lead mid stretch. And for whatever reason, this is the kind of Keeneland meet I had. I left out stunning sky for some stupid reason, because maker had been just you know dominating Keeneland. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't cash on princess 
to Greg, so she was just better across the board. But, uh, you know, maybe maybe I'll give her one more chance because I thought she really ran a really, really nice race that time uh, mm-hmm. in the Valley View. But uh, well, let's go to the final race on the card, and this may be the most important race for you. It's the last leg of the pick six, pick five, pick four. It's a one-mile maiden race for Phillies, two years old. And the favorite is coming out of the 12 hole. This is Honor Afik, daughter of Honor Code, trained by Eddie Keneally for Tyler Gaffleone. I think it's telling that Gaffleone shows up here on this horse. Uh, he rode her last time at Keeneland going a mile 16. Now they gets a turn back. She's probably going to be tough. Uh, Alan, uh, finish this off here. What, what, what do you see in race 11? Uh, there's probably five or six contenders. Again, I'm not exuberant about the race. I will mention one numerical statistical anomaly before I go into any sort of selection. Steve Asmussen's horse, Empress Catherine. I will only mention this just simply because this horse is six to one in the morning line coming out of a six furlong race in his first start of his career or her career. He ran a 66 speed figure and ran six all the way around the track. Six, 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 doing up six by six lengths. Uh, the sixes are there on Empress Catherine. I'm just mentioning that if you look at the past performances, you'll see that's numerical anomaly. It means absolutely nothing, but it caught my eye because I like numbers. You know, said, she she breaks from the yes. nine hole and you turn it nine upside down. It's a six. That's exactly right. We could probably go on and on all day. Uh, the dam has six starters. Um, we could go on and on, but the horse actually figures too, quite frankly. But I wanted to mention that. I'm sure it bored a lot of people with my little uh, uh, venue there, but we'll move on to horse I think might win the race. And that is a horse I've been completely tepid on throughout his uh, her career. But I'm going to finally sold on Rookery. I have not liked this horse the first four races she's ran. Uh, this horse swept to the lead last time with blinkers. I think the blinkers might have been a trick. Did get caught by a really nice horse named Army Wife. Uh, has to has to last the one-turn mile, which is something she has not done. But since that wake-up race with blinkers, if you notice, she uh, came back to work a 46-1 and fastest-of-the-day bullet for Wayne Catalano. I think he thought this horse was going to win last time. Uh, I wish they were going a little bit shorter. But I will take Rookery to close out. It's a pretty good last race, uh, and hopefully close out a winning ticket. You know, I'm going to take an angle here and go back to your nine Empress. It almost looks like on purpose this horse raced and did not want to move spots at all. Distinctly setting up for a, a, a next a next out because the Nyquist. I tell you, there's no hotter first crop sire in the market right now than Michael. So they've got a lot of money for this whole Three Chimneys Farm owns. Ricardo Santana gets back aboard, of course. This horse was heavily bet first time out, and it never came yeah. to a threat. Had some great workout lines leading to it, but I think the horse, I really think this horse has a shot. Obviously, the outside, Rookery and Honorific, uh, you know, fit no doubt and I, I want to find somebody that's a first time star just uh of these first timers maybe pledge uh with mike maker coming out of the mike maker barn first time starter but there could be something unique on this last race because there always is the first the last yeah. leading up to this 
team very formful, very easy to handicap. I think there'll be a big surprise here. Maybe so. Well, let's talk about it. I don't know it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to talk about a couple of pedigrees here. One on the, one of the horses you mentioned is, uh, Empress Catherine is, like you said, a daughter of Nyquist. Her female family is absolutely stellar. I mean, she goes back to her uh, Asian Empress's month mother is uh, Aurora, who is a daughter of Althea. Althea won the Arkansas Derby back in 1983, I think, or 1984, and she was one of the favorites in the Kentucky Derby. And then, you know, her her line has been really, really popular at the sales. So. You know, this would be big if uh, this Nyquist filly could could win here in second start. Another filly I want to talk about, though, is number 10, and that is Manetta for Sherry DeVoe. This, I, I need to go back and watch this replay on this filly, but uh, she went off 2-1 to one and was checked and rallied to finish second. It's a daughter of Kozan. Kozan is a full or maybe a half-sister to Royal Delta, I think. Let me double check that. Uh, Royal Delta was horse of the year. Uh, yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah, half brother to champion Royal Delta. So, and he's a leading sire in Florida. They gave seventy thousand dollars for this filly in Ocala March, and I think she's got a shot here with Declan Carroll aboard. I agree. Uh, and but I've got to go back and watch that race. If uh, you know, uh, Sherry Devoe's due to 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 you know, hit one of these maiden races. He's been close a couple times. Uh, and we but, should also yeah. mention uh, the three-horse Dioro Forever is a daughter of Oaks winner Lemons Forever. Yeah. Can we talk a minute about? Now I hate to I hate to bag on somebody, but uh, Fifty Charles Fifty is the owner of this filly. He is terrible at naming his horses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the horse today. I know. I know what you're going to talk about. It was a horse named today. It was. He just ran the, the mother and the father's name together or something. That's all he does. It was now. Yeah. I, I, I read about this. I think it was on Twitter. He said he's got a method to his madness that this is how he keeps track of these horses. But, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. Just it's a little odd to me, you know. And this horse is just uh, – the, 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 he threw a Medaglia Dioro and Lemons Forever together and he got Dioro Forever. It's like, you know, real, real well, clever. But, hey, he's rich. I'm not. Oh, you're rich in love, though. <laughs> uh, I want to read you the. All right, Lemons Forever won the Oaks, right? And you know, several years ago. So this is this is her progeny, and and Mr. Fifke's bred all of them. Dioro Forever, who's running today. Forever Dioro, Forever Perfect, <laughs> a daughter of or a son of Perfect Soul. Forever right. Unbridled, a who was really nice. She was a, a probably a champion older mare at some point. Lemons Medallia, uh, you can imagine who the the sire of that one is. Uh, again, Perfect Forever, who is a full brother to Forever Perfect, and then Unbridled Forever, who is another daughter of Forever Unbridled by Unbridled Song. So, yeah. And then he has all those perfect. He has the the perfect soul. So you see a lot of uh, the horses with the word soul, the word perfect, and well, usually it's soul. Yeah. And you know it's a fit. And you know it's a fit key horse. Mr. Mr. Fifty, you can do better. I'm just, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right, guys, that uh, closes out today's card or Saturday's card, excuse me. Uh, 
not a great card. You know, if you, if you find yourself having to do something else, that's not the worst thing in the world. Maybe maybe watch some football or something like that. And maybe maybe watch the last uh, four or five races. Uh, it might be worth a look. But uh, before we uh, cut out of here, uh, obviously want to thank uh, Mr. Lansden and Robbins for joining us, taking time. We absolutely enjoyed that interview. Uh, guys, anything else you want to add before we sign off? Uh, no, we got the Clark coming up. We got the big Thanksgiving weekend coming up. It's always a great weekend of racing at Churchill. So we're going to yeah. look forward to that coming. It's part of the league, but it's already it's going to be next weekend. Yeah, and we should tell our listeners that we're going to have some other uh, future interviews off of uh, what Lansom was able to help us out tonight. That they should really tune in the next couple of weeks. It should be great, great storylines. Especially we're kind of getting this uh, blackout period when it comes to racing. Once everybody leaves Churchill and ships south. Uh, maybe it'd be good December time. Very true. All right. So uh, that wraps it up for episode 27 of the Auxiliary Gate podcast. I'm CC Broadus. And on behalf of Alan Schneider and me and Brandon Jaggers, we're reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home.